we knew nothing about building this truck and we did our best. We honestly did our best to try and just build it out ourselves, but essentially it just didn't work. And then the money was just burning. And so I turned to my uncle who used to work for General Motors and I was like, uncle, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know how to finish this. And he said, bring it to me, baby girl. And within three weeks, he gutted the whole thing, built it with his hands and got it ready for the professionals. They got it finished within two weeks. And within five to six weeks, we were ready to roll. How much money would you have saved if he had just gone to the professionals? I know exactly how much, $13,000. Hi there, it's Sewa, and welcome to episode 47 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. On today's show, we hear how former IT consultant Cynthia Nevels became a vegetarian to prolong the life of her terminally ill son, and then used the same vegan recipe she created for her family to launch a food truck. Although she did this in the middle of beef-loving Texas, her truck has been featured on the CNBC show Restaurant Startup and was recently voted Dallas's best food truck. Not best vegan truck, but best food truck, period. Although her son Tyler has since passed, his legacy lives on through Cynthia's So Good Food Truck. Before we hear the rest of Cynthia's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. This will help spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Cynthia's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with Chef Cynthia Nevels. Cynthia Nevels, welcome to She's Off-Script. How are you today? I'm doing well today. Thank you so much for having me. So for our listeners who haven't heard of the Soul Good Food Truck or Integrality, could you share what they are and how you came to own them? Absolutely. So I owned Integrality first. I've been a management consultant for 20 years, almost 20 years now, helping, starting out with SBA, helping small businesses with uh, finding finance funding and helping them with business planning and strategy and also accounting. Mm. And uh, over time, I realized uh, when I had to take time off to care for my son who was terminally ill I realized that there was something else that I wanted to do that I wanted to prove, I guess, to myself that I could build a viable company from the ground up, a product-based company from the ground up myself. And amongst other reasons, I started Soul Good about seven years ago now and um, put into practice all the things that I had been telling every all of my clients <laughs> about over the years. And and so that's how I started uh, so well, that's part of how I started so good. Okay, so Cynthia, you grew up in the suburbs of the DFW area, I assume in the 70s and 80s. Could you share what that was like for you? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a middle-income community. Um, my mom and my stepfather worked um, for Federal Express and, and bought, which a lot of African-American families, their families, um, if they were lucky enough, had parents who had really great jobs. And um, my mom has two degrees. Actually, she has three degrees and very um, 
she was, she's a very, very intelligent and smart lady. And I watched her work really, really hard um, over the years. And I think the work ethic that I have was instilled in by watching her and how she worked really, really hard. Oftentimes when I was really young, growing up in um, the suburbs, she would work two jobs. And that I think fueled me to be internally motivated for me to, to do more and to study hard and to do the best that I could uh, when it came to education. And uh, so I liked my childhood and how I grew up um, back in the day. I grew up with Prince and Michael Jackson. And when things were changing economically, you mm-hmm. know, the introduction of credit cards and living a different type of lifestyle, so to speak, um, uh, was happening during that time period. And um, luckily, I had a, a family where we got to explore and see a lot more than some of my friends did. And I think that helped to shape shape who I am today. Okay. So then you went to Texas University twice, first for a BA in psychology, and then over a decade later for a BA in accounting and entrepreneurship. So what prompted you to go back to school? Yeah, so I went to Texas Women's University, and that's where my mom started um, originally. She didn't graduate from TWU. She went on to another school to graduate from Dallas Baptist University. Um, But what I really loved about the university is how they empowered women. I have always, I think, since probably middle school, been a feminist, didn't know what it meant then, but I've just always had this intrinsic belief that girls are powerful. Mm. And um, TWU back in the day really focused on helping to build holistically women. And the whole entire environment on the campus was centered on supporting and helping to build strong women, smart women. And that's what I loved about it. And so I went to the school because that's where my mom started. I stayed at the school because I loved the environment and the culture and and how it also shaped who I am today. And uh, they've often come back to ask me about my experience um, because I really did dive into the environment there and really took advantage of the resources that they had available for, for our students. And it helped me a lot, the networking and the relationships helped me a great deal over the years. And so that's why I went back because I love the environment. It was just fitting for my personality and um, gave me the resources, especially when I went back the second time. Mm -hmm. I was divorced by then and had two children, one of which was sick. Mm -hmm. And the environment really supported single moms and that helped me a great deal during that time period. Okay. So then after you graduated with your first degree, you found yourself working in Silicon Valley. So why that move from DFW to California? Yeah. So I have always been the type of person who wants to stay on the cusp of what's innovative and what's new and what's hot and what's fast. Mm-hmm. It's just who I am. And I was lucky enough to go from working in a warehouse for Avial when I was in college and working my way up to work in HR management um, for an HR, HRIT company uh, and a healthcare company. And with that experience and that growth, I really got entrenched in the technology industry and discovered that I actually love it. 
Mm. And um, things were happening so fast. Back in the day during the dot-com craze, when people were making money hand over fist, you could write a business plan on a napkin, you would get investment and your company was started. Mm. And I worked in recruiting back in the day. If you could spell Oracle, you got a job for $150 (laughs) an hour, you know? Wow. It was heyday crazy. And I just, I rode the way. That's essentially what I did. I just kept learning, networking, building relationships, making connections. And um, I went where the money was. Mm. So now when the money left during that dot-com bust, what was going (laughs) through your mind? What did you think you were going to do next? So while I was in Silicon Valley, I used to, um, I was still had my children and we lived in California alone. So I had a lot of free time at night because I didn't go out and party like everyone else in Silicon Valley. I couldn't. I would watch um, uh, public television Mm -hmm. to train myself on the stock market and to understand how it worked and how to invest and how to build wealth. Because back in that time period, people were making money hand over fist. But a lot of them did not know what to do with all of that money. And um, I just did not want to come back or not have anything to show for all of the money that I was making in Silicon Valley. Um, And I really didn't know very much about financial literacy or financial management at all or debt or investing. So I just spent a lot of my free time teaching myself that industry as well, which actually turned out to be something really great because when I was laid off from uh, Siebel Systems, which was acquired by Oracle, I came back to Texas reluctantly because I really wanted to stay in California. But you know, the cost of living was way too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came back, all the things that I learned and saw and experienced and recognized that a lot of people had a lot of money, but not a lot of assets, I started to think, I maybe I should be teaching people what I taught myself when I was there. And that's when I built a nonprofit that became very successful delivering financial literacy across the entire state of Texas. Um, just devised a program that was created essentially to help people build assets and wealth. Um, And I did that for seven years and built really great relationships that I still have now today with banks and credit unions and financial institutions that um, back in the day really were focused on financial literacy. And it just, it was timing. It just all worked out. Hmm. And so just to take a step back, talk to me about being a single parent in Silicon Valley back when things were booming, back where the old boys club was still very, very well and alive. How were you able to grow your career, not going out for happy hour and drinks and, you know, depending on where you were, strip clubs, because you had to, you had to take care of your kids. How were you able to balance that? So that was always, I shouldn't say always, there were certain instances where that was a challenge. Um, And, but in my mind, I just made up in my mind that I I will do a good job. I will do a superb job. I will connect and engage and build relationships where people can trust that the work is going to get done and that I was really good at what I did. Mm -hmm. And I was really savvy and and strategic in my work as well. And so I let my work speak for itself in the office. And I just, 
had to sacrifice not building those outside personal relationships. I do remember one instance where um, an executive, a VP in the HR department was looking at myself in a mail to take on a global project where I would have to travel outside of the United States on a project, and uh, which would also cause for an increase in salary. Of course. Yes. And he, his conversation with me was centered around whether or not I was available and able to do it. And I simply had to look at him and state, don't count me out because I have kids. I'm glad you were brave enough to speak up for yourself. Absolutely. You have to recognize what they really were saying and um, not be afraid to take on risks, even though you may be a single mom. I have a great family structure and if I needed them, um, they would be there in a heartbeat because they always supported what I'm doing even today. I think it's so important, especially younger women growing up today, to leverage the people around them and not to feel like they need to do things alone because opportunities will pass you by if you feel like you have to shoulder all the burden by yourself. I remember my first international assignment came a month after I returned to work from maternity leave. My Mm -hmm. first child was still breastfeeding And I went to Asia for about four or five months. And at that point, I had to wean her. I had to lean on family members who we flew my mother-in-law in. And then for another part of the trip, my, my parents took my daughter in. So husband travels a lot for work as well. But I still was able to take advantage of that opportunity, which ultimately positively impacted my career growth. And so I'm I think it's such an important conversation to have about not feeling like you have to shoulder the burden by yourself. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. And being very organized. That's Mm -hmm. one of the strengths that I have sometimes a little bit (laughs) too type A, but um, uh, being organized, especially when I had um, my sick child, because Mm -hmm. when I had to rely on my parent or my mom, or other family members, they had to understand how to care for him. And so I had to be organized and have everything in order in order for me to excel in the corporate world. Um, So there wasn't a lot of time for play for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the notion of super mom comes in because people don't understand how you're getting it all done. But the key is just to be organized so that people can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes when people say, how do you do it all? To me, I don't think I'm doing very much at all. It doesn't seem like it's a a lot of work um, because, you know, once you have that strategy and that plan, especially if that's the way that your mind mind thinks, um, you're just checking off checklists and tasks (laughs) in your mind. You know, it's not like you're overwhelmed or anything. Everything has a schedule. Everything has a uh, place. Everything is on the list. You get the list done, you're good. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't feel like a lot of work to me. So now fast forward to 2012, your son, Tyler, was battling cystic fibrosis. And so as a mom, you thought, I'm going to do whatever is in my power to help him. And part of that for you meant preparing healthier meals for him. Did you ever think those meals would turn into a business? Mm -mm, Not at all. (laughs) 
I was just cooking the, you know, when I, when I made the transition for myself, I watched a couple of movies, read some books and had made up in my mind, I was done eating meat. I just wasn't going back. And, you know, growing up in the South, that was very difficult uh, decision to make because there wasn't a lot back then for us to choose from. And, you know, being the mom who's cooking for the family, they had to eat what I was preparing because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do two different meals. That's right. too expensive to mm-hmm. do. And so, but the boys told me, we're not eating rabbit food, mama. And so, <laughs> like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> so, you know, I just pulled up as Southern Girl, East Texas watching my grandmother and my grandfather cook in the kitchen skills and started creating things just from my head based on what I think they would like and and building flavor that would be familiar to them and tricking them to eating this food that they, if I didn't tell them, they wouldn't know. That was Mm -hmm. the key. Mm-hmm. Um, to get them to like it. And often they were they were guinea pigs, so to speak, in the beginning. I didn't know that. They didn't know that. But essentially what happened over time is that um, when they loved it and then other people at the hospital or the uh, OPO, which is the organ procurement organization where we built a family, so to speak, started to eat the food and love the food, that's when people started to say, have you thought about doing something with this? And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to survive right now. (laughs) Um, Just trying to keep him alive. I really wasn't thinking, so to speak, about future entrepreneur endeavors at that particular time. It was just out of necessity. So for just for reference here, when you mentioned transitioning, you meant transitioning to becoming a vegetarian and now you're on the path to becoming vegan as well. I am finally. Yes. After now 12 years, I'm, I'm moving forward to become a fully 100% plant-based or vegan eater. Wow. So now in 2012 as well, you had done quite a bit of research and then you decided to launch your food truck. What about the research made you think that the market for a vegan truck existed in Texas? Yeah. So my instincts are really, really good. And I've always been good at trusting my instinct, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it it comes to making, taking my next steps. And um, what I did was paid attention to my life and my lifestyle at the time, because when I, I say lost everything, but gave up everything in order to move to Houston to care for him in hopes that he would get the transplant, our life was turned upside down completely. Mm. And I had to find um, new ways to exist. And so every day he had doctor's appointments every day, if you can imagine. And we would go from the apartment or the townhome that we lived in Houston and travel to the hospital. Well, that trip from the townhome to the hospital was filled with nothing but fast food restaurants. So if you're on the go from like, say, eight o'clock in the morning until three in the afternoon, and you're not cooking your own food to take with you, all you have access to on a low budget is gross fast food. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at that and I was thinking one day, I remember saying, why can't I have vegetables to go? Why can't I have fast food that's plant-based or healthier for me. 
yeah, you can go into a sit-down restaurant, order a salad or something like that. Back then, it wasn't a lot of options in the restaurant industry at all. So it was mostly salads and soups and things like that. And um, I just was frustrated and thinking, I can't feed him any of this crap. So that means I have to cook, which means that my grocery bill goes up. It's just, it was a, it was the impact on me. And then, so I thought to myself, I wonder if other parents who care about their, what their children eat, have the same frustration as I do. And I started researching to see if more parents have those issues. And Robin O'Neill, if I get to have her name correct, her daughter has an allergy and she was advocating a great deal for healthier food options and to protect children with allergies. Mm. And um, I just started paying attention to what she was saying and what parent, uh, women who were following her were saying. And I just, my instinct said, I think I'm onto something. Um, but at the time, I couldn't really focus on it. But once he got his transplant, I was able to go full steam ahead and said, I don't care if we are in the South and we are in Texas and we're in ranch country. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I believe there's an audience out here who feels the same way I do, who are parents of children who actually care about the source of the food and, and the nutrition of the food and want more options. And that was before this whole craze that we now see today um, was happening. And I, I was right. You were right, because fast forward to today, I believe the food truck industry is the best performing segment of the broader food service sector. So I bet you're seeing a lot of growth within your your business, which I would love to touch on as well. So now that you had the truck, what was your biggest challenge with launching the food truck? <laughs> so with the launch of the food truck, so I do everything like strategically, one mm-hmm. step at a time, making sure that I'm making the right steps because as a single mom, number one, I don't have money to waste. <laughs> number two, I don't have time to waste. Mm-hmm. And number three, if I fall on my face, that means that I can't feed my kids. And so I just um, was very methodical and took time to start at the Dallas Farmer's Market first to to use that as research and development. Take those two years to build a rapport with the audience and ask them questions to understand what do they like, what they don't like, and and create a menu that would serve the audience, not me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I use that as my research time. Um, I used to host parties at my house to get people to come, carnivores to come to my house and try (laughs) the new recipes that I was creating. There are some things that aren't on the menu today that I started out with um, to get people to try it and give me your honest opinion so that I could be better. And that's all I really wanted to focus on is to understand what the audience wanted, to create it, deliver it in a way that was convenient for them, and then keep iterating from there. And that's what I've done over the years. Is just, And it's taken me longer than other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe too long, some may say, or some may say just in the right timing. But I feel comfortable because I know my audience. And oftentimes I, I really know them like by name and I know what health condition they have. And I, I, I say to myself often that no one's going to 
hug a McDonald's CEO, but they hug me when they come to the truck because I do take the time to really truly understand who they are and what they want. Okay. So after your two-year research period at the at the farmer's market, where did you get the financing to then purchase a truck? I asked the people. <laughs> I hosted a crowdfunding campaign. Um, I also did a lot in the area of crowdfunding um, in that industry as well when I was consulting. And I said, I'm just going to apply all this knowledge that I have to help other people <laughs> to myself. Mm-hmm. And it's very scary to crowdfund and raise capital from public source because if you fail, it's embarrassing. And oftentimes women are afraid to ask for money. Um, It gives you this kind of feeling of begging. But the way I saw it is if I didn't ask and get the help that I needed, I was never going to move forward. I felt I was never going to get the financing that I needed to do it right. And so um, the strategy was raise as much as I could via crowdfunding online from the people who knew me and loved me and also cared about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then I would purchase the truck from an auction, which I did for, and people may not believe this, but I just saw this receipt when I bought the truck from an auction, but I bought it for $3,200 Wow! from a school district. It was just one of those carrier trucks, right? Mm-hmm. From a surplus carrier truck from a school district down South. Mm-hmm. And um, my ex-husband, I told him, go bid at this auction, get this truck no matter what. And, uh, you know, it happened. And then what that did was turn that into an asset on the books that I could then take to a micro lender to uh, then leverage to get $15,000 to build the truck out. Mm-hmm. And that's so what I did. How much did you get from your crowdfunding? How much did you raise from that? $48,000. Oh, excuse me, $4,800. Ah, so then you were able to then take that to purchase the truck and then leverage your truck to get additional financing. Exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. And get some equipment as well. Ah, so now how did you know where to go to even build out the truck? Um, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a story that <laughs> I, I I first had someone, uh, I just say his ex-boyfriend that is really, really good with repairs and maintenance and things like that. We knew nothing about building this truck and mm-hmm. we did our best. We honestly did our best to try and just build it out ourselves. But essentially it just didn't work and then the money was just burning. And I was like, we have to get this done by this date or the money's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. And so um, I turned to my uncle in East Texas Mm -hmm. who used to work for General Motors, very smart man, always been smart and loves me to death. And I was like, uncle, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know how to finish this. And he said, bring it to me, baby girl. And took it to Marshall, Texas within three weeks. It was completely done aside from the vent hood and some other mechanical things that I had to take to a professional shop to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, he gutted the whole thing, built it with his hands and got it ready for the professionals. They got it finished within two weeks and within five to six weeks, we were ready to roll. I'm I'm squinting at you in disbelief here because 
your uncle just happened to know how to trick out a food truck and knew who the professionals in the in that arena were. Wow. That is well, he didn't know. He just he's just smart mm-hmm. and good with his hands. So he's like, I don't know exactly how I'm going to tackle this, mm-hmm. but he did his research, he studied, and it found a gentleman who had had some experience and they worked together to just make it happen. That's amazing. And I I, I want to also take a step back to where you said you were trying things on your own. You were trying to go about it DIY mm-hmm. and it wasn't working. You were burning money. I feel like that's a recurring theme with entrepreneurs where you think you can do it better. You don't want to spend the money on expertise. So you waste money and then you yeah. ultimately have to go back to the professionals either way. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in your case... How much money would you have saved if you had just gone to the professionals? I know exactly how much, $13,000. Woo! <laughs> I took some of my money out of my retirement to to pay for this, you know? And um, I just, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I was trying to save money by mm. us doing it ourselves, but it just didn't work out. And again, that's another lesson learned to ensure that get the professionals to do it, pay the money. You will save money in the end, period. Mm -hmm. Um, And budget for it and just go ahead and monitor it. Of course, like a a project, monitor it, make sure you get what you pay for, but let the professionals do the work. Yeah. So now your truck is up and operational, but I do know that a lot of food trucks have to contend with some very difficult regulations um, with cities and municipalities. So how did you handle the licensing process? <laughs> so that part has been very expensive. <laughs> and, Even uh, to today. Yes, every, wow. every year. Um, because you have to understand, when I went into this business, I did not know that every city requires its own permit. Mm -hmm. That's a cost for every city that you want to serve in. And some of their rules may not be the same as the other cities. And so you may have to make adjustments in order to fit their requirements, which may be another expense or more time. Or you may miss out on opportunities in those cities if you don't take the time to get that permit. And so um, it was, it was a, I had to learn a lot because the food industry was not my industry. Tech and, and so forth was my industry. Mm-hmm. So I just actually applied the methodology for managing a project to managing the food truck. And so before I would go into a city, I would go and look up their regulations, understand what their requirements are, what the costs were, look at the market to see if that's where I needed or want it to be first before I made that investment mm-hmm. and then just put it on the timeline. Um, for me to gradually move into other cities. Um, And so that's what I did. And it's expensive and you have to know what you're talking about and know what you're doing when you're talking to the inspectors. Um, Because if you get fined, that's more money out of your pocket. I mean, you cannot make an assumption that you can just fly by night and operate wherever you want, when you want. No, food service is very, very um, strict Mm -hmm. and people's lives are at stake. And so you have to do it right. Absolutely. 
And I think that's the main thing when it comes to small businesses is sometimes we want to cut corners just because we don't have the financial backing, but it could come back to have larger repercussions, not just for your business, but for people's lives, depending on what you do. So I'm, I'm glad you took your time to get things right. So now also just to sidestep, are you continuing your consulting business throughout building your food truck as well? So I was. I was okay. burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was working with the 10,000 Small Business Program here at Dallas County Community College District um, as a senior business advisor and then alumni manager. And so I was doing that during the day and then working the truck in the evening or on certain days and also weekends and also still single mom with my daughter who remains and I was just I was just doing too much mm-hmm. essentially and but I needed to because that was my income that that work paid the bills so to speak and I could not afford to let it go however in talking to my mentor and looking at the growth of the truck and how people just really wanted so good everywhere because of the demand, I had to make a decision. Do I want to grow or do I just want to limp along? What do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, because stopping the consulting and what I was doing would impact my personal income. And my income was what was paying the bills for the house and the company. Mm-hmm. And um, But... I believe in what I'm doing. I know that I have a purpose and I know that I have a vision for growth and where I want to go with this. And I had to make a decision. Do I keep limping along or do I dive in and see where I go? So last year in 2018, after talking to my mentor and really thinking through my growth strategy and where I want to go with this, um, which is global, I decided I'm going to let the consulting go. And I'm going to dive in. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I think. (laughs) (laughs) So now I want to understand what about your growth track made you think this is where I should be going forward? Because you were up and running. You had been voted the best food truck in Dallas last year. So not just the best vegan food truck, the best food truck, period. Yeah. You were featured on CNBC's Restaurant Startup. So now you're in, on national television. So what do you think sparked that growth for you? So there are a lot of things. I'm, I, I, uh, some people call me the, the <laughs> happy flower child, but I believe in signs. And I believe that if you pay attention, you will hear the answers that you're looking for. And, you know, I'm out there on the grind on the truck and anyone who wants to start a food truck has to understand it is physically hard. It is a hard, hard job physically as well as mentally. And I was, I, I was looking at, is this really what I want to do? Well, I will get these messages from customers who will tell me how grateful they are for the food and the options and that I exist at all. 
or I will have some news story that's written because of some new recipe that I've created after some travel or something, um, the new Cuban dish that I came up with. Or I will have someone who will write me a note and send me an email that I'm inspiring them to change. And that those little things just continue to help me understand that this is bigger than just me. It's the purpose that I have and the mission that I have is much more important than the sacrifice that I'm making right now and that I have to keep going. I must continue to save more animals, save the lives of people in small, small way and save this planet, which is my primary mission. And so I look at the, when I stopped consulting and I went into this full time, my revenue jumped considerably because now I was focused. I'm Mm -hmm. in this now. Mm -hmm. It didn't replace what I made as a consultant, but the increase showed me I'm on to something. I know I'm headed in the right direction. I just have to keep moving forward and pushing and figuring out the answers to the operational challenges that I have so that I can be ready when it's time for those doors to open. Um, So when I saw that the revenue increased because I was focused, I said, okay, I just need to keep pouring more into this. So what are some of the operational challenges you're seeing? It's always labor. It's always having reliable, really good people to work. And oftentimes it's my family who works on the truck with me when they can, Mm. uh, which I love um, because everybody understands my mission and and my purpose. Um, But I need a team. I need more people to work on the truck. Um, I need better local sources for the ingredients that I use. Um, I need to pay lower prices for those ingredients so that I can improve my margins. Um, I need to improve the truck. Um, It's been operational for some time and now I need to upgrade it so that I could do more. I'm limited in how much I can serve on the truck right now because of the equipment limitations. So I need to upgrade so I can do more and offer more. And um, uh, so that's another thing that is always challenging. And repairs, something always breaks. Always. If one more thing breaks on this truck, I'm just like, people don't understand, you know, it's the smallest things. You hit a bump in the road and something falls off the truck. (laughs) At least the food is amazing. (laughs) They don't know how it got there, but (laughs) yeah, you know, just daily stuff that you have to deal with. And then you have to serve with a smile, not knowing that, oh my gosh, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, that's one more thing I have to fix today, but you know, that's part of it. So what is the vision of getting and growing global look like for you? <laughs> well, solving one problem at a time. <laughs> so my mentor told me I need to build capacity. And what that meant was I need to be operating much more than I was before. Um, and so I worked on that where I'm on the truck at least 50% of the time, um, trying to get to 70%, meaning the truck is up and running and operating much more 
on a daily basis for longer hours so that I can make more, generate more revenue. Mm -hmm. So I need to build capacity. Um, I also need to make sure that I stay connected and engaged with my, um, my customers. I call them my family to make sure that I'm keeping up with what they want in the trends. Um, so I do that very often as well. And then communicating on a regular basis with them. Um, I can't tell you how many times people will come to the truck or call on us for catering. We've done big catering, things like for Stella McCartney and really big projects, so to speak, that are really, really super cool. Um, whereas they saw us, you know, saw me on Instagram or on Facebook or someone shared a story or something like that. That really makes me really happy. And so staying connected and engaged is really important to me. And also, the other thing about my personality is sharing what others are doing in this space. Mm -hmm. You know, some people may think from a marketing perspective, why are you promoting your competition? Now, I don't look at it as competition. If one more person eats a vegan meal and, and is getting closer to being healthier, I'm all for it. I'm happy about that. And I want to share what others are doing in this space because it's not my space. I don't own it. I just want to be able to help. As they say, the rising tide lifts all boats. And so in order to create a larger pie for everybody, it's important that we are supportive and aren't just competition minded all the time. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So now looking back on your journey, what are some things you wish you would have done differently? <laughs> um, so many things. Uh, um, I wish I had uh, reserved more capital to exist or last a little bit longer um, so that I could, you know, every restaurant and every business will run into cash crunches and that happens often. And then when I really dove in, it really put a strain on the finances and that's okay. Everything always works out. I know that. And my family has been here to support me and to help me. And I'm truly grateful. So you must have a structure in a unit that's going to be there to support you during the downtimes. Otherwise, you won't be able to make it. You also have to understand starting a business like this is very risky. And you're not, for the most part, there are some anomalies like Slutty Vegan who within 18 months have just skyrocketed, which is super awesome. Um, but she also has an infrastructure that supports her as well. Um, and so you may lose your shirt in a business like this. And if you're not savvy and if you're not smart and you're not connected to relationships and resources to ensure that they, you can stay steady during the hard times, you could lose everything. And so you want to be prepared for that. The third thing is believe, 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 have a purpose, have a story. Don't just start a business because everybody told you you could cook and you could, you know, smoke ribs. Don't just start for that reason. What is your story? What is your why? And what are you doing with it? Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, you know, this was started because or for my son and my children, but for the most part for Tyler. And I have a sign inside of the truck that says for Tyler. And I stay true to the fact, even on the hard days that he, when he was going through his challenges, he was the strongest 
person I have ever met and never, ever, ever gave up. Even on his hardest days, he never gave up. And so if I can have even just a little bit of that strength and tenacity that he does to stick with something for once, I just simply can't quit. I have to stay true to the purpose. Well, Cynthia, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for the success of So Good. I see you out on social media. I see you spreading your message and it's drawing people in. So the fact that you are doing something that's very different from the norm, especially here in Texas, that is amazing to see. And so for anyone else that wants to follow your journey, where can they catch up with you? Oh, sure. Um, So everything is eat so good. Everything is eat so good. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can find everything uh, at eat so good. And I'm always sharing something either funny or something as real as my weight loss here lately, recipes, or um, just helping people stay educated and engaged to see where are we going in this industry and how can we be better in this world. Well, I appreciate you sharing that message with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.